0: This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to military analyst Dr. Jonathan Schroden. And he's been covering Afghanistan in this regard about as long as the war has been going on. 18 years, he's been doing this 16 years, he knows what he's talking about. And he's going to be speaking to us about this recent situation in Afghanistan where the Taliban, the Afghan government and the US government have all come around the table and have had some kind of agreement, some kind of deal. It's not quite a peace process as is being described, it's quite tricky. And uh, Dr. Schroden is going to explain what's actually happened. You'll have to excuse me, I'm ill, I sound like deaf, Uh, but yeah, please do consider supporting Popular Front at patreon.com slash popularfront. Maybe you can explain exactly what is going on with this uh, this deal, you know, some people have said, oh right, you know, the Taliban have won the war now, Uh, the US are pulling out, what exactly is the, you know, the proper idea of what's going on here?
1: Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't think either of those characterizations are entirely accurate, as you Mm. might imagine. Um, So really, the the, I think the biggest misconception about the agreement is that it's some sort of peace deal, and people have been talking about it like it's a peace deal and using that term. And in fact, it's not. It's not meant to be a peace deal. It's not labeled as a peace deal. Um, That's really not what it's about. It's meant to. Create a pathway for the Afghans to start talking to each other, uh, what they've called intra-Afghan negotiations. And all along, the Taliban have maintained a set of preconditions for that to occur. Um, and the most significant of those was that the U.S. would agree to a withdrawal timeline, a uh, set of conditions, you know, and an endpoint to get all of its troops out of Afghanistan. And once the US agreed to that, the Taliban have have sort of steadfastly maintained for a number of years that they would then sit down and talk to the Afghan government about what the future of the country should look like. And so this agreement effectively meets that precondition in order to get the Afghans to sit down and start
0: talking to each other. So the idea that the Americans are about to leave is just that's not happening? Uh,
1: Not, I mean, not in the immediate term. No, the agreement talks about the U.S. would withdraw troops in two phases. One is over the first 30, 135 days, um, so about four and a half months, the U.S. is supposed to draw out about, uh, well, draw down to a total number of 8,600 troops, um, and to convince its coalition allies, mostly the countries of NATO, to draw down their forces proportionally. So the, the U.S. has agreed to that, Although, frankly, the U.S. was was highly likely to do that anyway and had been signaling for a number of months uh, that it was going to draw down to 8,600 troops regardless of whether this agreement was signed. So while some people have pointed that out as a concession the U.S. made, I don't really see it that way because, again, the U.S. was likely to do that anyway. Um, so that happens in sort of phase one over the first four months or so. And then the deal says that over the remaining nine months or nine and a half months uh, which would take us to about April of next year that the U.S. will withdraw all of its remaining uh, troops from Afghanistan subject to the Taliban meeting their conditions under the agreement.
0: Right, so why are they doing this now then, you know, all of these years that the war has been going on? I mean this has been going on since I was a kid, you know what I mean? I'm 30 now, it's outrageous. And, you know, all of these young men have died fighting for this, that, and the other. Why now? Why are they doing this?
1: I think it's, well, it's a combination of things, right? So Afghanistan's effectively been in the midst of a civil war uh, for really 40 years, but the U.S. has been a party, U.S. and its coalition has been a party to that civil war for the last almost 20. Um, and, And really, right, civil wars, if you read the literature on civil wars, they tend to end... Only when a handful of uh, certain conditions are met, and oftentimes one of those conditions is when all of the sides become tired of fighting. Mm. And I and I think after you know 18 years of the U.S. being in Afghanistan, the U.S. is tired of fighting in Afghanistan, um, and the Taliban, I believe, after you know 40 years of of fighting themselves, or or you know um, since the um, since the mid 90s, anyway, for a lot of these guys. Um, I think they're tired as well. They're tired of the violence. And certainly Afghan civilians are tired of the violence. And so I think we've reached a point now where all sides are effectively tired enough of the violence and the fighting that they're willing to sit down and try to at least begin moving towards a peace settlement. Now, that's that's a big first step to take. It is only a first step, right? There's a lot that has to be done in order to, to bring a lasting peace to Afghanistan still. But this is a pretty significant and important first step to getting there.
0: Right. And maybe let's talk about that violence. You know, I read that the basically most of the areas that the US had taken from Taliban control are now back under Taliban control. Like you said, after 18 years of war, what's going on with the level of violence right now in Afghanistan?
1: Yeah, so the last two years have been among the most violent of any time in the last couple of decades. Um, the Afghan, number of Afghan civilians has been increasing uh, the last couple of years. The, the United Nations tracks those numbers and puts them out, and they're, they're as high as they've ever been. Um, the number of Afghan soldiers being killed, uh, while we don't have exact numbers, it seems pretty clear that they're suffering on the order of ten to 15,000. Uh, soldiers killed each year for the, the past two to three years. Uh, Taliban casualties are especially hard to estimate because they don't publish any any numbers on those. But I think it's fair to assume that they are also suffering tens of thousands of casualties. Um, and I've done some rough calculations uh, based on various sources of information that seem to indicate that that's an that's a, 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 um, accurate rough estimate. Um, so it, the violence levels are pretty high uh, across the board. Uh, and all sides are feeling the impacts of that, right? And so you have this high level of violence that, again, I think everyone is is getting pretty tired of. And in addition to that, on the territorial uh, front, since you mentioned, you know, who's holding ground where, I think we, we've, we're rapidly approaching a point where the Taliban control large swaths of the rural countryside of Afghanistan, uh, where not a large percentage of the population lives the government controls most of the large cities uh, where the vast majority of the population lives, and the two sides aren't likely to, to be able to force the other out of those areas, So, which is to say that the government doesn't have the capability and the wherewithal to take back, at this point, large swaths of rural territory, and the Taliban don't have the mass. They don't have enough fighters. They don't have um, air, you know, air support to take and hold the cities. And so we we've, we've rapidly we're rapidly approaching a sort of um, you know stalemate I guess you could call it on the ground where the two sides hold the areas they hold and they're not really able to do much else.
0: Right. And well, in that case, what's the difference between life in a government held area, for example, and life under a Taliban area? I, I, I keep seeing a lot of kind of romanticism now about the Taliban and, you know, they're just these freedom fighters. But then you forget, well, no, they kill like women who are trying to go to school and stuff like this. I know the Taliban isn't just one mass group, but, you know, what's life like under the two the two forces now?
1: Yeah, so there's been some really great work done by uh, the likes of Ashley Jackson and some other researchers in recent years that have gone to Taliban-controlled areas to try and get a better sense of exactly that. Like, how does it differ um, in the areas they control? Uh, and you see some, some right, positives and some negatives, to be just frank about it, right? I mean, the Taliban are, generally speaking, better at delivering justice at local levels. They have courts. Um, that in the areas they control are generally trusted and are, are relatively swift about dealing out, uh, justice, uh, you know, rulings on disputes and those types of things. Um, and, uh, and they're not corrupt, right? You don't have to pay a bribe to a judge mm-hmm. in order to have your case heard. They have a court, you can go there you can have your case heard and they will dispense a ruling. Um, and the ruling is based on their interpretation of Islamic jurisprudence, which, which many Afghans appreciate um, so there are those things, there are those aspects of what the Taliban do that I think a number of Afghans, um, especially who live in those areas, uh, view as a positive, um, you know, uh, as a positive. Uh, but there are obviously a lot of negative things that come with that. And the the rights of minorities and women, especially uh, women and girls, are the negative side of that, right? They are still, the Taliban are still highly uh, oppressive and repressive. <laughs> When it comes to um the rights of non pashtun non non sunni islamic males
0: and what about the uh the government areas are things much different on there from from what i gather like I look at some areas and it seems like very different do you know what i mean like the contrast even though there might be both government control they seem there doesn't seem to be any kind of this is how it is under them do you know what i mean no kind of template i don't know what, what do you see
1: yeah so i mean in government controlled areas you see things uh again positive positives and negatives right i mean the um, in those areas, right, you tend to have uh, f- relatively free and open media. Um, business uh, tends to be more free and open. Uh, women can be business owners. Um, you know, minorities can own businesses, those types of things. So you tend to, to see a lot more economic activity. Some of that has to do with, right, there's, there's a rural versus urban divide that has little to do with the, the governing functions and more to do with the, the geography, Um, But in the cities, right, where where largely the government holds, you tend to see the types of things that I just described, more economic activity, more freedoms of of all kinds. Um, But you also tend to see a huge amount of corruption uh, because the the Afghan government is a largely predatory government. It is hugely corrupt. Uh, And so to get anything done uh, that involves the government requires paying bribes and and quite often uh, quite a few bribes.
0: I, I've heard that a lot of the Taliban seem to be, well, I've seen a few videos. You, you, I know you don't know how how big this the situation is, but there's quite a few videos of like Afghan soldiers now joining the Taliban. Um, do you think we're going to see more of that now that this kind of peace deal is approaching?
1: I don't know that you'll see much defection from the Afghan security forces over to the, the Taliban side or vice versa. Um, I think the two sides, now that they're, well, hopefully they'll start actual talks here pretty soon. But once they get locked into those talks, I I would think the two sides are largely going to stay in a sort of wait and see mode. I mean, their fighters, as long as they're continuing to be paid on both sides, don't really have an incentive to break and join the other side in the midst of peace talks that might be ongoing. So I I tend to think you'll see the two sides more or less hunker down. There will continue to be uh, violence that occurs until um, a general or comprehensive ceasefire is agreed upon, because violence is really the leverage um, that both sides have to to try and, you know, out um, outmaneuver the other in, in terms of these negotiations.
0: In terms of violence, what happened recently? I saw that something like a week after the negotiations, there's already been like a serious outbreak of violence from the Taliban. What's going on?
1: Well, again, so the deal itself doesn't include uh, the agreement that that the U.S. and Taliban made doesn't include any mention of a ceasefire or even an extension of the reduction in violence period that the U.S. set as a precondition for its signing of this agreement. And so while a number of U.S. officials have come out and and made comments to the effect of the Taliban increasing violence again uh, runs counter to the deal or the agreement, there's there's nothing in the agreement that actually says that. And so uh, people have concluded that that either those officials are speaking in terms of what they believe the spirit of the deal was, as opposed to the text of the deal, which is mm. which is frankly neither here nor there. Right. Um, but then there's also this issue of there's been a number of reports and, and the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has, has openly acknowledged that there are, are at least two what are being called secret annexes to this deal. Um, and, and there's a lot of speculation that maybe in the annexes, it says something about um, levels of violence or reduction of violence. But again, that's not public. Um, and so at least based on what's known openly, the Taliban have made no agreement to reduce the level of violence in Afghanistan so far.
0: Okay, so in your words, then, what would you call this? I know we mentioned it at the start, but it's not the end of the war. It's not really a ceasefire what is it i
1: think the best way to describe it is the beginning of the end of the war right and that's really what it was designed to do it was designed to remove the roadblocks that existed to the to the afghans and here i mean the afghan government and the taliban actually sitting down and talking to each other about how to end this war how to stop the violence, and what the future of a of an Islamic government in Afghanistan should look like. And so really, again, I think the best way to characterize it is this is hopefully the beginning of the end of the Afghan war. But it's important to manage people's expectations. You know, it took a year for Ambassador Khalilzad to negotiate this agreement and to get the US and the Taliban to sign it. To imagine that the Afghans, you know, the Afghan government and the Taliban are going to sit down and resolve the future direction of, of this country, what its government should look like, what the rights of various groups of people should be, um, all of these types of, you know, what should happen to fighters on both sides, prisoners, etc. There's, there's so many issues that they have to work through that I think a reasonable expectation is that it's going to take a year, if not multiple years, for them to really wind down this war and come to a lasting set of agreements about
0: what the future should hold. Right, yeah, there's no mission accomplished. Um, Who was at this meeting then? Because I know that the the Taliban, it's not exactly, you know, it's not as secure of a group as, for example, the government in Afghanistan. It's quite, um, you know, there's certain autonomous elements to it. Uh, who, was at the t- who was at the table for the Taliban and the government and the U.S. and what have you?
1: Yeah, so, um, I mean, the Taliban have have sent a, so their negotiating committee has been uh, made up largely from their political commission. So they have a political commission and a military commission uh, that are, are two sides of the same house. Um, so their negotiators have been largely from the political commission, although they claim, uh, have claimed throughout these talks that they've been in close consultation with the military commission and with um, the overall emir of the Taliban as well, in order to ensure that they're um, in sync as a group. And in fact, the Taliban have, uh, there's been some good scholarly work over the past few years, uh, have really focused on maintaining cohesion as an organization, um, because they felt uh, several years ago that the U.S. and others were trying to chip away at their organizational structure from the bottom up. And so they really, they really focused and put in place some organizational processes and procedures to try and maintain their cohesion as a group. And they are at this point, a pretty cohesive group, even though they do have some, as you say, semi-autonomous elements within them. Um, Probably the most notable of those is the Haqqani network, um, uh, which is led by Jalaluddin Haqqani and his sons. Um, And, uh, uh or really at this point, it's uh, Siraj Akhani is kind of the leader of the group. Uh, and there was a lot of speculation as to whether or not they would agree to the type of deal that the Taliban was negotiating, because they are quite close to al-Qaeda, um, closer uh, arguably than a lot of the tal- Taliban elements in Afghanistan are. And so there was a lot of question about that. And and interestingly, Siraj Akhani published, or the New York Times agreed to publish an op-ed that was supposedly written by him. Yeah, about totally. a, about a month ago, in which he says again in the op-ed, effectively the Haqqanis are fully on board with the agreement, and the Taliban are you know speak for them as well. And so, again, there's been this real drumbeat of Taliban unity and Taliban cohesion throughout these talks, and even in the years prior.
0: Right. So, do you think then? I mean, I know he's just said, yeah, okay, we're on board. But do you think there's a chance that things might splinter, or is the Taliban welcoming this? I guess what is the general, um, you know, reception from the Taliban from this outside of these talks? Because it's not just them in the room. You know, there's fighters, there's everybody.
1: Yeah. So the, I mean, it's it's hard to, I mean, right? It's hard to know without being on the ground and hmm. talking to large numbers of their fighters, but. From what one could glean from, you know, social media and and other reporting that took place during the reduction in violence period, as well as drawing back to the Eid ceasefire that took place in 2018, uh, it seems pretty clear that the Taliban fighters, the rank and file, are, again, tired of fighting, would like for the fighting to be able to stop, would like to be able to travel into the cities and to other parts of Afghanistan uh, and so I think I think that dynamic still exists at the rank and file level. The higher up in the Taliban hierarchy you go, the more sort of rigid and dogmatic it becomes. And so, you know, will some of these groups splinter off if it's entirely a possibility? I, it, I wouldn't su- be surprised to see some of that happen as the intra Afghan negotiations uh, play out. Most likely, I think you would see that happen at sort of the local commander level. Mm. So, you know, Commander uh, X decides he doesn't like the directions the, the talks are going or, or doesn't like some concession that's been made. And so he breaks away with some, you know, with the fighters that are loyal to him, which is probably some tens of numbers of fighters. Uh, and they might join ISIS or they might go over to some other group. And so I, I think you will see some of that happen over time, but I don't think it's going to be large numbers, you know, hundreds, maybe some small number of thousands. Uh, but I don't think you're going to see tens of thousands or wholesale breakaways, you know, wholesale uh, fracturing of the Taliban movement.
0: Right, right. Um, now, I know this is kind of a hard question to answer, but my thoughts coming back to this, I just keep thinking... What was all this for now? Do you know what I mean? I I guess my question is, what are the Americans kind of saying to save face? I mean, it's like, why have they been there for so long? Now that they're kind of, you know, I mean, let's be honest, they are seeding a lot of their, what they did, and it's gone back to the Taliban. What, What was the point of this from the Americans point of view now, like 18 years on?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, and there's still, right, there's a lot of history to be written and a lot of uh, reflection to be done, I think, on the part of the United States in the wake of this experience. Some of that's ongoing now, right? It'll continue to, to take place for decades to come, I'm sure. But the I would say the, the discussion that you see now is largely broken into... Uh, you know, sort of two camps, although there's a moderate third, a much smaller moderate third camp in the middle that I would put myself in. Um, But you see a lot of people arguing on one side that, you know, the U.S. has been largely successful in its overarching strategic goal in Afghanistan, which was to present, uh, prevent another 9-11 like attack or really any sort of international attack uh, emanating from Afghanistan. And we haven't seen that over the last 18 years. And so there is a camp that argues that even though it's been delivered at exorbitant cost uh, over time, and and obviously could have been done more you know more cheaply and with uh, less um, spilling of blood, that the U.S. has in fact accomplished its strategic goal, which was to prevent another major terrorist attack from Afghanistan. So you hear that argument on one side. The argument on the other side is. Yes, but the cost has been exorbitant we could have accomplished that, you know, with far less cost over time had we made some smarter choices. And the, po- the point that we're at now when we're negotiating a settlement with the Taliban was was obvious to a lot of people um, that this was how it was going to have to end as long as a decade ago. And so why why didn't we negotiate this agreement, you know, five, seven, ten years ago when that was already apparent? Um, and so those are right two two sides of the argument that that you hear um, in the United States. And again, I think that'll continue to play out over time as the U.S. sort of grapples with um, its experience in
0: Afghanistan, which has not overall been a positive one. No, definitely not. Um, I know you've got to go, but is there anything else you want to mention before we leave this here?
1: Um, I mean, I think I would just, uh, mention coming back to the, the deal. The one thing that people might, uh, you know, be hearing about in the news and be wondering about is this idea of prisoner release and and when the Afghan negotiations are actually going to start. Um, so the deal says that the Afghan negotiations are supposed to start tomorrow. Uh, it's pretty unlikely that that's actually going to happen because there's a bunch of stuff going on. One major complication is that the Afghan, uh, the election they held in September didn't end well in terms of it was highly fraudulent. It's not entirely clear who the winner was. And so just today you had um, the existing president, Ashraf Ghani, hold an inauguration ceremony and be sworn in as the president and his main main political rival, Abdullah Abdullah also held a inauguration ceremony and had himself sworn in. And so you now have competing you know, political claims to the presidency in Afghanistan, which is not helpful. And then the U.S. has also made things more complicated by effectively promising in this deal to facilitate or bring about the release of of five thousand Taliban prisoners in exchange for a thousand um, Afghan security force prisoners that the Taliban holds, which is outside the authority of the U.S. to deliver on. Right? I mean, we don't we don't hold those prisoners; the Afghan government does. Mm. And so, so there's even though the talks are supposed to start tomorrow, there are, again, a host of issues that have to be resolved in order to get to this first step. And so I just, right, I I, just to sort of put the news in context and to reinforce what I said earlier, this is going to be a long and messy process. And everybody needs to sort of calibrate their expectations that even though, as I said, this is the beginning of the end, the road to the end, from here is still long and windy and with has lots of obstacles on it that will
0: have to be overcome um, yeah yeah I mean the war's been going 18 years it's not just going to end overnight um, where can people follow you on the internet if they want to you know catch up on your work ask questions whatever
1: yeah the uh, best place to find me is on twitter I'm at jj schroden s-c-h-r-o-d-e-n
0: brilliant thank you very much mate appreciate that
1: yeah thanks for having me on
0: that was Dr Jonathan Schroden speaking about the possibly the beginning of the end of the Afghanistan war but if we know what's been going on there and the Americans are getting involved, could just go tits up again any moment but yeah, maybe it's the beginning of the end but at least there's one thing that's clear, it's not quite as it was projected uh, initially. Anyway again, please do uh, excuse me, I know I sound like deaf and it's probably not what you want to hear, just a touch of the corona probably. Um, but yeah, sorry about that. Um, if you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please do, as usual, consider supporting us on the Patreon. There's bonus episodes, chance to join the, uh, community, which is excellent for research if you're a up and coming, uh, independent journalist or, uh, researcher or whatever. Um, go to patreon.com slash Popular Front. Again, the bigger we grow, the more Popular Front you get sponsors uh this episode was sponsored by the defensepost.com defense with an s uh, go there for regular updates on the world in conflicts all independent also sponsored by oracle coffee shop in portland oregon usa america um they're an independent coffee shop selling only fair trade products um go and see them at 3875 Southwest Bond Avenue 97239 I've no idea what those numbers are but I'm guessing if you're American you know Um, and tell them Popular Front um, sent you and you might get a free coffee or something like that you really should to be honest Um, this episode is also sponsored by Black Triangle they're an independent company Um, they manufacture their own low-key self-defense tools Uh, check them out on Instagram at black triangle group or their website, Black Triangle, but B-L-K, spelled like that, B-L-K-Triangle.com. Again, tell them Popular Front sent you. Really, they should give you a discount. I don't know, they might, <laughs> hopefully. But yeah, thank you very much. Again, if you want to sponsor Popular Front, firstly, parameters, you must be an independent business of some sort, no corporate bullshit. Um, you must not be... I don't know, some kind of weird Nazi group or like hardline communist group or anything like that. Don't be pushing off political agendas. Um, but yeah, if you're doing independent work and you think it might be relevant to us, go to jake at hanrahan.tv. Email us there, show us what it is, um, you know, and we'll come through with pricing. It's very cheap, to be honest, the amount of um, independent downloads that we get on this i've been told we can charge way more but again that's not really in the spirit of popular front so my point is it's affordable you know you've got an independent business we'll understand that we know what it's like we're broke half the time too so yeah jake at hanrahan.tv let me know what your product is we might say yeah i mean like look if you're selling bed bed linen or what was one thing trying to sell me like um fucking special herbs or uh, botanical oils it's not really going to work make sure it's relevant and if it isn't you think yeah my product would probably benefit from Popular Front listeners then yeah email me definitely go to our YouTube uh, youtube.com slash popularfront or just type in popularfront.tv that will take you there Uh, we've got a new um, documentary out now it's by Luke Pierce, He's, uh, you he know, does a lot of filming for us, very good lad, independent freelance cameraman, um, covers a lot of conflict, check him out, uh, his Instagram is at LukePierce1. But yeah, anyway, so he made us this doc, he was out in uh, in Baghdad covering the protest, he was covering it at a perfect time actually, it was kind of just before the satirists took over and um, when the, the, the protest was very like grassroots and organic still now unfortunately a lot of armed factions are taking over and doing all sorts of fuckery and you know a lot of the lads that were fighting for just you know having a democratic country are kind of had to step off a bit but yeah see it it's called Baghdad Rising uh, under fire with the Baghdads or with the Iraqi protesters check it out youtube.com/popularfront also, uh, Journeyman contacted us and we're like, hey, can we put this on our platform? We like it. They've got like a million subscribers, so you might see it on there as well. You know, as a little partnership, we said, yeah, cool, thanks very much for the boost, you know, um, so you might see it there as well. But don't worry, they haven't stolen our stuff. It's, yeah, that's ours, we have a little thing. Um, yeah, uh, popularfront.tv, go and have a look. Uh, follow us on Instagram, instagram.com slash popular.front. Also, follow us on Twitter, at um, PopularFrontCo. My handle is at jake underscore hanrahan H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N A -A -A Uh, lot of shit talking on that one So if you don't like me Just go to the Popular Front one Can't blame you Um, Where else? Yeah, go to the website uh, Popularfront.co For merchandise Popularfront.shop Yeah, that's everything Um, Again, if you want to support Patreon.com Slash Front. Thank you very much to the following Patreons Adam Berg Snyder, Amy Rupert, Andrew Hurley, Axel Iverson, Azad, Bill Wilson, Brian McLaughlin, Trey Nance, Chad Walker, Charlie, Christina Rivetti, Christopher Martin, Craig Miller, DR, Dan Dunham, Daniel Shearer, Diana Gorvenek, Emiliano, Emily Molly, Fletcher Tate, Frank Austin. Greg H. James from the Discord, Janet Basuto, Johan Stocker, Joel Tambusi, Josh, Jungle King Virapan, K. Hardy Roberts, Lawrence Abrahams, Ludwig, Chodzo Zash Zachko, bro. I'm so sorry if I've said that wrong. Let me try. Ludwig, 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 Chodzko, Zako. I'm. Guessing, I don't know. Mate, please do message me and tell me the exact pronunciation. Uh, I really don't want to get people's names wrong, um, but I'm honestly, man, I'm stuck with that one. Uh, Michael Brachetti, Moritz Zumboal, Ari from the Discord, Olin Thorne, Patrick Bronte, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did and Defiance. Uh, check him out, actually. He's Defiance. He was on the border of Turkey and Greece. The footage he's got from there is really good cubal, um, Rubicon Ryan Sandercock, Scartoon Music, Sebastian from the Discord, Sarushe Hawazi, Stephen Davila Tom Lochrin, Tony Bin and Vida Provost thank you all very much, Like I said, without you the bottom would fall out of this fast thanks so much, again if you want to support patreon.com slash popular front uh, music in this episode, the intro was by home and the outro was by Sam Black aka son of old To hear his music, go to sunblackpf.com